happen today in Romans chapter number 12. If you find it, I want you to stand and honor the reading of the Word of God. Again, thank you to each person who is out today. Visitors, we're appreciative. I got to meet some folks. Traveled all the way from Montana just to hear me preach today. Okay, maybe they moved from Montana, but it sounds better that they came to hear me preach this morning. So we appreciate whether those visitors or any other visitors. Thank you for being among us today. We're expecting, we're already, the Lord's already doing great things in here. It's been exciting to be in the Lord's house. We're going to read one verse of scripture here, then we're going to backslide into the Old Covenant, read another verse of scripture. It's going to set the context for us. He said, now King James English, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves, the word ye there in the old English is plural, so it simply means all of us. He's speaking to each one of us, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, holy, acceptable unto God, come on, which is your reasonable service. Now, now that's my title, but I'm going to have a subtitle. That's my title, and I think it'll put, if Angel put that, your reasonable service, that last little phrase right there, your reasonable service. But I added an additional text and a subtitle to it. So we're going to go back to First Chronicles, and we're going to be in First Chronicles in a little while, but um, we're going to just set this, we're going to extract this one verse real quick because it will help us again to kind of know where we're going. Verse number 13 says this, also... For the courses of the priests and the Levites, and for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord, and for all the vessels of service in the house of the Lord. Let's read it together. Let's read it. Let's read it out loud like they used to in the old church. Let's read it together, if y'all would. King James, it's good for you to use this, this old English. It'll, 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 uh, it, it'll flow off of your tongue here this morning. Also... For the courses of the priests and the Levites, and for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord, and for all the vessels of service in the house of the Lord. Amen. So to titles, uh, the title of today's message is, Your Reasonable Service, but I added a subtitle late to it, The Service of the House of the Lord. Because part of, not all of, but part of your reasonable service is your involvement in the local body of Christ, the local church, the service of the house of the Lord. It can't be about you every time you come together. It can't be that it's we've just done everything for you. Sometimes you've got to be here with an expectation that it's my season to serve. Mm, that's the, no wonder the amens were so poor. But that's all right. We're going to keep pressing forward. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're humbled by what we have already experienced. We're humbled by the exhortation. We're humbled by the Psalms that were sung here on the platform, were humbled by the prayers that have been made. The people, the people that are here today are already challenging me. Just their presence is drawing out whatever gifting you have placed in my heart and life. I pray today, God, as I prayed many, many times, that preaching will come easy in this house today. Come on, somebody, let preaching be easy. Let it flow. God, the Word says, make me as the oracles of God. But as always, I do pray for the hearts of the people to receive the engrafted word. Father, their hearts to be prepared, as Joe mentioned previously, God, that this good word will fall on good ground, Father, and produce, Father, a good return in Jesus' name. And all God's children said amen and amen. And you can be seated. Thank you so very much. Now listen, today I really believe... And staying true to two things when I preach, and that's either the text or the context. Today, I've got a target in mind. There's a bullseye that I'm headed towards. However, I'm going to have to take you. So I have a destination. Let me use that, that analogy instead. I have a destination that, that I have in mind, and we could go right there from the very beginning, but I'm not going to. I'm going to take you around for the, for the purpose of understanding of why we're going to this destination, okay? And that's important. That's the why that Dr. Brassville encouraged me along this journey when we began to put things back as the Lord quickened in my heart. So I want to, I want to show you why I took you to First Chronicles in a few moments. Now, we're moved by what we read there in Romans 12 where it exhorts us to present ourselves as holy and acceptable unto God. It's my reasonable service to present my faculties, 
my emotions, my hands, my time, my talent, my body, a living sacrifice, alive unto God, right? Everything's not all right, complete. We're still being changed by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. We're being sanctified. We are sanctified, and we are being sanctified on a daily basis. But we're going to present ourselves to Him, aren't we, church family? So I want to I share with you something that's a, and I'm going to target a little bit for these guys that are here with us today, of a truth that has, it's the most liberating truth to me that when I search out the Scriptures, it's called the inclusion of the Gentiles in the apostolic writings, especially of the Apostle Paul. It was a doctrine that I believed in and followed kind of uh, loosely, maybe pretty, pretty close. But after our trip to Israel several years ago in 2014, it really became illuminated in my heart and mind. And I don't want to say anything at all that is a negative, but I just, in my heart of hearts, I arrived at the conclusion that the, what we call the modern state of Israel is not the nation of Israel that's written in the Word of God, and it is not the spiritual Israel that the Apostle Paul writes about in the book of Galatians. Now, others argue differently, but I've got the microphone today. Ephesians chapter 3 is where I want to take you for just a moment, and I want you to see this, because how many of you know sometimes you can't just look at yourself through the lens that other people have, have put on when they've looked at you, or sometimes even yourself. But you've got to say, how does God see me in this new covenant that I'm a part of today? Right? Because if, 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 if there's not something that changes inside of you, in your heart, or even in your perception, you will always gravi- gravitate back to the person you used to be. But if an expectation gets created inside of you based upon God's perception, not your perception, then you begin to change. And then you begin to be changed from glory to glory. As a matter of fact, I left out the most famous verse of all in Romans 12, and that's the second verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to think differently in this new covenant. Right? You have to rewire yourself entirely and think the way God wants you to think in order for you to be the person that God wants you to be. So I was moved when I was with the men on, on Tuesday night. They've been, they're studying the book of Ephesians. So I'm only going to highlight. I'm just going to skim the surface because it's going to help us understand why I went to where I went to here in a moment. Ephesians 3. Let's read this together. For this calls I, Paul, the prisoner if you, of, of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. So to the Jew... There were just all nationalities or nations were Gentiles. So it was the Jewish nation and all nations called Gentiles. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, meaning I've received something very special, God gave it to me to share with you, how that by revelation, read that, he made known unto me the mystery. Revelation means that which was previously hidden is now disclosed or made known. He made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in few words. Here's Paul's hope that when you read, this is for every one of us here, whether this is your personal Bible study, maybe you're an early morning person, you get up and you read and you get along with God. Maybe these are your classes when you're at the other side, or maybe you're a late night student of the Word, you have to wait till the children go to bed, and you get a little bit of devotion. Paul's hope was that when you read, that word ye there is is plural, he's speaking to all of us, that all of us may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So there's something in Paul's heart that is so paramount. Have you ever had a secret that, that you couldn't wait to tell somebody? Not a secret that you weren't supposed to tell, but that something had happened, some powerful thing had happened in your family or to you personally, and you just couldn't wait to share it? And a lot of people really didn't know about it. Maybe it was, for example, maybe it was a couple or is a couple that had been trying to have a baby for many years and were not able to have a baby. And then seven years into the journey, they discovered they're pregnant. I mean, you know, that's an exciting moment for that couple to call mom and dad or grandmas and grandpas or family together and say, you know what, there's something hidden that I can't wait to tell you about. I believe that's almost the way Paul is as he's right. He's almost giddy. He's just, oh, he's beside himself. You've got to understand. You've got to understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. And so, which, because here's what it is. In other ages, that's where I think we stumble sometimes. Because we read the old covenant and we re, we're reading it through limited revelation. Those men were limited in what God 
disclosed, what God pulled the veil up on. They wrote with all the revelation that was given to, me, to them, but it was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What is this mystery? What is this thing that is so, so exciting that the apostle is almost beside himself to share with them? The sixth verse in a nutshell, it says that the Gentiles should be stepchildren to the body of Christ, fostered, not really a part, you know, maybe allowed to come, foreigners. My Bible says fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. I mean, that right there, I could just say, I could have a one-man revival on that verse of Scripture right there. That means that you may not feel like you're somebody, but that means God said, when I adopted you into my family, you are somebody, right? And God didn't have a seat for one here and one down here. God put us all as fellow, as I, as, I, as I remember correctly, he said in Ephesians 2, that we have been made to sit down together with him in the heavenly places. Matter of fact, let's back up to chapter 2. I, I don't know, but this may be my favorite. I know we're not supposed to have favorite passages in the Word of God, but verses 11 through 19 can be of the second chapter could be the most liberating, empowering work of the, uh, of the written Word in my heart and mind. It says, wherefore, remember. Sometimes you got to remember you got to remember who you used to be so that you can now know who you are, right? And he said, remember that you in times past, I was a Gentile in the flesh, meaning according unto the, he said, we were called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Now, in the culture today, almost all little boys get circumcised, but in the culture of that day, only the Jewish people were circumcised in their, their, their men children, their man child. And so that they're writing from the, Paul is writing in a, in a Jewish context because the circumcised called all the nations the uncircumcised. Distinguish them. In the flesh, he said, he said the circumcision in the flesh, which was the Jewish community. He said at that time, remember that time? You were without Christ. Do you remember that, guys? Do you remember that time when you were without Christ? Are you hearing me today? You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were a stranger to the covenants of promise, and you had no hope, and you were without God in the world. That's a terrible place to be. It's a place of despair, right? To not have hope, not have a future, not have eternal life, not have communion with the Father. But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus... Listen to this. you got to read this in the right lens. You who sometimes were far off, the far off are the Gentiles. You're brought near by the blood of Christ. Let's read it on further. He is our peace who is broke, made of one and broken down the middle wall of partition between us. He abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, and in himself of two Two bodies, two peoples. He made one new man, and he's made peace. That he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross. Now listen to this. Go farther. Having slain the enmity thereby. Now I can't elaborate on all this. So I'm hastening towards these last three verses. And came and preached peace to you who were afar off. He mentioned that in the 14th verse or the 13th, I think. He mentioned that those who were afar off, the Gentiles. And he also ministers to those who are nigh the Jews. So how many of you know there's one access point to God today? And that's in the man, Christ Jesus, and in his atoning blood. So the context here is it's the blood of Jesus. Whether we are afar off, we were a Gentile, we were raised outside of the commonwealth of Israel, or whether you were the most pious Jew trained in all of the religious order of the Paul's day or today's day. It matters not. If you're going to be in the new man, you got to come by the blood of his son. Glory to God. Right? And when you come, look at this. Now listen, once you're brought in, verse 18, through him now, through Christ, we have access by one spirit unto the Father. 
You know, I love that because now it's not even un- by one spirit unto God. He doesn't say Elohim, creator. He doesn't even use Lord, Jehovah. He uses Abba, Father, Father God. So now I'm adopted into the family, right, completely into the family of God. I'm a son or a daughter of God. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ, right? I can call him by the Spirit, my Father. When I, matter of fact, when I pray, I don't just say, oh, holy, righteous. I do say, holy, holy, holy. But you know what? I first off my lips of a genuine born-again believer is my Father, right? He's my Father today. I'm not just worshiping an ancient deity hidden in the cosmos somewhere. I'm worshiping the one true God that I know as Father. So by the Spirit, I have access unto the Father. Now, therefore, listen to this, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. Oh, my goodness gracious. But I am a fellow citizen with the saints, and I'm a part of the household of God. And I'm built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. But go back to that 19th verse. You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you are the household of God. And so once I have a revelation, remember, when you read, I pray that you understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. What is this mystery? It is the inclusion, the full inclusion of the Gentiles, that there's one new man in the earth today. Jew, Gentile, one new man in the earth, the body of Christ, the people of God. Paul argues this again in Galatians that the sons and daughters of Abraham are people of faith. And so if you are a man or a woman of faith, then you are a child of God and you are a joint heir with Jesus Christ and you are a fellow citizen of the saints. You have a right to his presence. You have a right to his covenant promises. You you didn't earn it. No, he found you lost in your sin, reached you by the power of his blood, brought you out of darkness and translated you into the kingdom of God's dear son. And it will change. Once you get all that thinking out of your mind, Oh, woe is me, agony on me. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Once you get that out of your mind and you get up every day and say, I am a blood-bought child of the Most High God, changed by the power of His blood, filled with the Holy Spirit, loved by God. He's for me, not against me. It matters not how many demons, devils, addictions come my way because through Christ there is a power in me that's great than anything this world can throw at me. Come on. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power. That's what it does whether you're 18 years old and you're in the new class that we're forming or whether you are 81 years old and you walked in on a cane today, you are a fellow citizen with the saints. You are a household of God. One of the gifts that God gave to the people of Israel was the, the Torah. Oh, that's a terrible amen. The law of Moses, the prophets, the writings, the scriptures. Paul said when he wrote to Timothy, he said, From a child you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. And so when Paul writes many times, he goes back into the, the, what we would call the Jewish world because now you and I have a right to go into that word. I thank God for the word of God today. I thank God for the Torah, the law of Moses, the prophets and the writings and the Psalms, the Gospels, the New Testament epistles, and the Revelation. I thank God. It's all the word of God from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. The hidden treasures of God's divine wisdom and knowledge, His holiness, His purpose, His promises. Originally to the Jewish people, their identity came from Him. He called them, sanctified them, and kept them. And He will you as well. He ordered their steps by His Word. He said, you are the apple of my eye, and now so are we. Come on, somebody. Let's go a little bit farther. Psalm 130 verse 5 says, in His Word do I hope. How many of you know that in every situation in life, there's instruction from the Word of God? I believe that. I believe this is a minefield of the revealed wisdom of God. Obviously, we have to search it out at times. 
Obviously, we have to get on our miner's pack and get our little headlamp and get our little pickaxe out. And sometimes we have to go and dig out until we get into a vein of thought and God just begins to drop nuggets of gold and silver into our heart. And every situation, by the written or the prophetic word, if a God gives me a prophetic word, how many of you know it needs to be in harmony with the written word? Right, because you can get in a lot of trouble with everybody going around prophesying. Right, I believe in the prophetic word, but I believe in judging the prophetic word by the harmony of the word of God. Right, Jesus himself of Israel, he was, he, actually he was Israel. He said this, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word from God. Right, you live, every, you live your life by what God said in his word. That's the changing of your mind, and that will lead you to present yourself a living sacrifice. That's your reasonable service. One more verse of scripture before we reach our destination here in a moment. Paul, Paul reveals this again in Romans 11. That's a matter of fact, you can't really understand Romans 12, 1 and 2 without re, uh, keeping it in the context of Romans 11. But he uses an analogy. This is the, in, the inclusion of the Gentiles written to an entirely different people group, the Roman church versus the church at Ephesus. But how many of you know the word's the same? Right? Whether it was to the church at Ephesus, the church at Rome, or the church at Heber. Right? The, the doctrine is the same. And so in Romans 11, verse 17, Paul now uses the analogy of the olive tree. I just got to take, I've preached this multiple times, so my church family that's here today, you understand this to a degree because I've preached it many times. Some of the branches being broken off, that's the Jewish by flesh, the Israel according to the flesh, who doesn't believe is now broken off. And the Gentiles who do believe we came from a wild olive tree, but God plucked us out of the wild olive tree and grafted us into the good olive tree, glory to God. And you know what? Have you ever studied about grafting? And when that branch gets grafted in, it's going to die if it doesn't get what the root provides. And so he said, and now though, we are grafted in and we partake of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. And so I've preached this many times, but any time that you've ever been in despair and you've gone to the Psalms and you've read a Psalm and maybe it was, maybe you had a lonely moment because you lost a loved one who was dear to you and you found yourself reading the world's most recognized passage of scripture, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. Because you found yourself in a valley of darkness, a season of death, you're walking through right, the shadow of darkness, and you found yourself turning there. And when you turned there, you began to draw strength from it. You began to realize, wait a minute, I only felt like I was alone because I really wasn't alone because the Lord is my shepherd, and he's going in front of me, and he's coming behind me, and he's standing at my left and my right hand. And, you know, goodness and mercies, I'm going to make it through this valley because God is with me. Anytime that you've ever done that, what you did not know what you were doing is you were drawing, you were partaking of the root and the fatness of the olive tree because you were grafted in and now you have a right. Does that make sense here today? As spiritual Israel, you go to the Word of God and you obtain direction. Let me throw this one here out for you just real quickly. Mark chapter, Jesus did this. How many knows you've got to have direction through this Word? You get direction through His Word. You don't do anything that you don't pray about. And you meditate on. And some major decisions in life, you need clarity as the Word illuminates your path. How many of you know it says in Psalm 119, 105, His Word is a lamp unto my feet and it's a light to my path. He orders my steps in the Word. I'm going to take you here in a moment to the life of David to kind of bring this and circle it right back. I won't preach long on the back end of this, but it was important for you to know the why. Why am I going to First Chronicles to minister a word to the people of our congregation today? Because that's what Jesus did. Because in First Chronicles, it's David. We're going to look at David for a moment. You say, well, that's what Jesus did. Does anybody remember when he was walking through the grain fields and his disciples on the Sabbath day, his disciples were plucking the heads of grain? Right, and because under the Pharisaical interpretation of the law of Moses, you couldn't do that on the, fair, on the Sabbath day. But remember what Jesus did? Remember what he said? He, I think I may have gave him the scripture on this in Mark chapter 2. He said, he said have you never read? How many know you got to read? Amen. Right? You want your mind renewed. You want to be walking in righteousness. You got to read. Have you never read what David did when he had need and he was a hungered? What did he do? 
and they that were with him, he went into the house of God. Look at that, the 26th verse. He went into the house of God in the days of Abathar the high priest, and he ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat with the priest, and he gave also to them which were with him. So in essence, what Jesus was doing as he walked or journeyed through life and the movement of his disciples was validated by a revelation that came through King David hundreds of years earlier. So in a moment now, Pastor, I'm not Pastor Jesus, I am Pastor Leroy. And so Pastor Leroy is going to take you for where God directed my thoughts for the word for this church family today. I want to go from our reasonable service to your service of the house of the Lord. Remember three, two weeks ago I preached to you about reopening the doors of our assembly based upon a text in, in the days of Hezekiah. Does anybody remember that? Oh, my goodness, it's a terrible amen. For the visitors among us, it's really a good church family. They're just weak on the amen side. What Hezekiah did was he copied what David did. Now, in a few moments, I'm going to show you what you're doing today is in the shadow of what David did. And it's going to empower you to believe not only in what we do, but what we're doing and what we're going to do. Are you all out there today? Let's go back to First Chronicles for just a moment. So it's just, we, just, we don't have much more verses of Scripture to read, but i got to go ahead here and just be. we just got to read. No apologies today. Just, let's just read. This is the part of your Bible where the pages are all stuck together right there. So you got to kind of pull them back, you know, and I can always tell. I can hear people flipping through, and they're trying to find it. So it's on page 561. So when David was old, don't say, now, Pastor Brown, that sounds like you. And so when David was old and full of days, he made Solomon his son king over Israel. And now, so I'm going to read without really expounding for a moment. And he gathered together all the princes of Israel with the priests and the Levites. And the Levites were numbered from the age of 30 years and upward, and their number by their poles, man by man, was 30 and 8,000. So 38,000 were numbered of the people of the Levites, of which 20 and 4,000 were set forward were to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. It took a lot of people to maintain the work of the house of the Lord. Are you out there? 6,000 were officers and judges. Moreover, 4,000 were porters, which means door. Uh, they, they watched the door. They were a part of security. 4,000 praised the Lord with instruments, which David said, I made, said David, to praise therewith. And David, notice this, the sixth verse. Very important that you catch this. David divided them into courses among the sons of Levi, of Gershon, Kohath, and Merirah. Let's jump over further in the text to the 24th verse here. Same text, same chapter. Now these are the sons of Levi after the house of their fathers, even the chief of the fathers, as they were counted by number of names by their poles that did the work for the service of the house of the Lord. From the, they, they counted them from 30 and upward. 30 to 50 is the time that was allotted for them to serve. But the, those that were 20 to 30 served almost underneath those to learn so that when, the 30, when they got 30, they were already trained. For David said, the Lord God of Israel had given rest unto his people that they may dwell in Jerusalem forever. And also unto the Levites, they shall no more carry the tabernacle nor any vessels of it for the service thereof. For by the last words of David, the Levites were numbered from 20 years old and above, because their office was to wait on the sons of Aaron. For the, so the Levites, distinguished from the Aaronic priesthood, time's not going to allow me to develop all of this, of the house of the Lord. Look at verse 28. We're going to come back to this in a moment. In the, so this is what their, their, their task, just in, this was not all their task. So in essence, you had the priest, the Levites served the priest. The Levites helped the priest in their, in their mission to serve God in the house of God. And then he lists just a few things that they did. In the courts, the chambers, the purifying of all the holy things, the work of the service of the house of God, the showbread, the fine flour for meat offering, unleavened, you're getting hungry, the unleavened cakes, which is baked in the pan. And then for those that from the south, that which is fried. And for all manner of, that's funny, I don't know why y'all aren't following me very well. 
and all manner of measure and size to stand. But here's also their obligation. Here was their commitment. Here's what they came to the house of God, to stand every morning, to thank and praise the Lord. And likewise at evening time. That was their only job for some of the Levites was that that was their task. Was when they got to church, when they got in the worship began to commence, they weren't musicians. Others were musicians. Their, uh, their singular purpose was to stand in the house of God. How many know God is great? And He is greatly to be praised. And He deserves that we stand in the morning and then also in the evening in giving praise. And to offer burnt sacrifice in the Sabbaths, the new moons, the, the set feasts, the number according to the order commanded unto them continually before the Lord. That they should keep the charge of the tabernacle of the congregation and the charge of the holy place and the charge of the sons of Aaron, their brethren, in the service of the house of the Lord. God is great. And he deserves to be praised. But let me tell you, it doesn't just happen. The structure and the life of the house of God in the days of ancient Israel took a collective effort of many people from the king on the throne to the high priest, the priests, the Levites, and to even their families and then the congregation when they gather. Anything good is going to demand effort of us. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, with the measure that you meet, it will be measured back to you again. And so we see in this text that there was a great number, 38,000 were chosen to be Levites. Uh, if I took a little bit of time to expand upon that, I remember, uh, uh, well, let me go. I want to read one other passage of Scripture, then I'm done. That's, that's it. That's going to wrap it up. Chapter 28, we're going to, this is kind of David again. He's kind of, this is David again, but it's kind of, there's four verses. We've got to connect the dots for a moment. David has called the, the whole congregation together. He's going over all that they've been doing for many months, even years. He's slowly passing the baton to Solomon. Solomon actually takes the throne while David is alive. So we're going to read here just for a moment, verse 11 through 13, and then verse 19, and that will conclude this. Then David gave to Solomon his son. Now notice, read, this is why you've got to read the word slowly. He gave to Solomon his son the pattern of the porch, the houses, the treasuries, the upper chambers, the inner parlors, and the place of the mercy seat. So God, so, so David is giving Solomon, when you build the temple, let me know Solomon built the temple, David did not. He's given him the measurements, the size, what's it made of, what's its architectural design, uh, where it's going to be placed, and, and the pattern. Now notice this, and the pattern of all that he had by what? Now catch that, don't, read, don't, don't overlook it. The pattern of all that he had by the Spirit. This was a divine moment. God spoke to the king about what he wanted his house to look like. Mm, all right, man, that's a good place to say amen. The Spirit of God spoke to David and said, I want, this, I want my house to look like this. The courts of the house, the chambers round about, the treasuries of the house of God, and the treasuries of dedicated things. Catch the 13th verse, often overlooked. For the, and also for the courses of the priests and the Levites, and for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord, and for all the vessels of service in the house of the Lord. Verse 19, that will do it. Then I'm going to exhort to close the message. And all this, verse 19, said David. He's kind of just testifying now. The Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me even all the works of this pattern. Now, let's take a giant step back for a moment of time. Let's see where Israel was and where they were and where they were going. Israel previously had worshipped God through the means of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was transitory. How do you say that? Transitional. It moved. They could move it from place to place. It was a tent. They could fold it up, tear it down. The Levites were responsible for much of the work in tearing it down and setting it up. David mentioned, he said, but when this temple gets built, there won't be a need for anybody to fold up tents, pull down staves, because it's going to be stationary from being transitional to stationary. And so they're in the process. David spends the latter few years of his life gathering resources. God speaks to him and begins to give him in his spirit a vision of what the house of God should look like. 
But not just what it looked like, it's architectural. Not just what the vessels would be, the, the, the brazen altar and the laver and the golden altar of incense or the candlestick or the table of showbread or the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place or the ark of the covenant where the mercy seat sat upon it, where the cherubims faced each other, where God had told Moses that I will dwell right between the cherubim. Not just the placement, but then he said, I want to talk to you about the service of the priests and the Levites. God gave the man of God, David, divine revelation so that it would take away much of the stress that people in ministry could feel. And some of that was the appointment of the Levites. The Levites were to be given to the priesthood to help them accomplish the work of the ministry. And he said, a matter of fact, they're gifts unto you. Because the priests were few in number and were not in, there was not enough priests. So you had to take the Levites to aid them accomplishing the will of God and the purposes of God. My studies revealed to me, that, and we read it in the text, that there was about 38,000 that were numbered in this original census, if you will. But there were 48 Levitical cities in the nation of Israel where they would go to and dwell. That was their place. They lived there. But... The scripture, or excuse me, history and scriptures tell us that there were 24 divisions made of the priests and the Levites. And so once this got in motion, the people served, listen, they only served one week, two times a year. So if you were a Levite, that was your responsibility. You would come from whatever Levitical city, whether you were in the northern tribe or the southern tribe, it matters not. You journeyed to Israel during your set time and you served in the temple for seven days. Now, when the three major feasts came, and that would have been uh, Passover and Pentecost and, I believe, the Feast of Trumpets, I think, or Tabernacles, one of the two. And so, but you would come at that time because everybody came to church on those special feasts as well. And so there was a rotational schedule. And so when you see that word course there in the Word of God, they were actually divided by lot. All the responsibilities were divided by lot. You hear for this particular service, you do this. This particular service, you do this. There was a sharing of ministry load. Whatever your lot was, you were to serve with distinction. How many of you know there are no true, real, menial tasks in the kingdom of God? We may perceive them to be menial, but God doesn't perceive them to be menial. Matter of fact, the Bible says that God uses what we think are menial tasks to prove our faithfulness to Him. Because if you won't excel in a menial task, then you're definitely not going to excel when you're given a greater task. you got to prove yourself. you got to prove yourself in that which is little before very much is committed unto you. Don't get me started about when they taught me how to fold my underwear in six-inch square when I was in the Air Force. When that T.I. looked at me and said, son, if you can't fold a pair of underwear in six-inch square, how can I put a wrench in your hand and send you to the flight line to work on a $30 million aircraft and you can't get a pair of underwear folded in a six-inch square? And I struggled with it, so I married Sister Sherry, and she folds my underwear in a six-inch square. How many of you know, though, church family, there's a part of the body in this context, there's a divine revelation in this word right here. And the divine revelation is, is that everybody needs to be doing something for the glory of God. You got to go beyond just sitting on your hands or coming to church and thinking the only time and the only thing that happens when I'm at church is I get ministered to. It's an entirely different dynamic or perception in our mind when we begin to see that the good of the body is only going to be measured fully when everybody is involved at some level. You've got to go beyond just saying, I'm going to be ministered to, but I'm going to minister. Time didn't allow me to tell you, but I love, if you've got to read this on your own, I know that it seems a little bit difficult because there's a lot of names that it's really hard to pronounce. Some of those Jewish names, they weren't like Lee and Joe, 
Come on, somebody. I mean, it, I mean, you got these tough names that are, but I'm telling you, there are, there's truth. You get to the porters. The porters were of the Levites. And here's what it says. So the porters were the gatekeepers. They kept the gate, and they had to get their job by lot. They had to choose. You get the north gate. You get the south gate. You get the east gate. You get the sheep gate. Whatever the case might be, there were gates either of the temple or perhaps even of the city of Jerusalem that they would help guard. But the Bible says plainly, listen to this about the porters, that they were mighty men of valor. The Bible says they were strong men. The Bible says, again, they were able men, strength for the service. And we can think that's a menial task. They were door greeters in the house of God. But it did not matter. God was great. And so all through the course of the week, they might have been this, this great professional, or they may have run a big business, or they may have been leading an agricultural team. But when their lot came to them to go to the house of God, they were going to do their service to the Lord with just as much passion, energy, Right? Devotion as anything else that they would do in their life because they were men of valor. Because, again, I want to say this, there are no menial tasks in the kingdom of God. So this was an order that was given divinely by God unto David. And you can see it by course means simply this, as I said. Course meant that God in His sovereign wisdom gave people the responsibility on select times of the year. So at times you could come to the church and be ministered to. At times you could minister like this, and at times you had to roll your sleeves up, and you had to go to work, you had to help skin the animals, and you got to empty the ashes off of the brazen altar because you got to have fresh fire on the altar because God wants to always see flame going up off of his altar, and somebody's got to take the ash off of the altar, or then it's going to put out the flame for the new fire. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so we are thinking, oh, these are just little things, but no, they're all a part of the whole, right? In order for God who is awesome and power and might to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. And so as I began to study that, I began to see this is kind of just affected. It followed all the way down because there was a divine revelation. I'm going to turn it personal here in just a moment. I'm not quite there, and when I get it personal, I won't preach that long about it, but i got to tie it in together. When you read the Word and you kind of fold this all together, you see, you see it being re-implemented in the days of Hezekiah, the courses. We read about that. You can read it on your own. It's in 2 Chronicles 31 and 2. In the days of the Reformation of Nehemiah and Ezra, we see them putting the courses back in. People were assigned. This is your assigned task. This is your season to do it. Go home, do what you need to do. But on this day, come back. Be punctual. Square your shoulders back. Make sure you're all clean. Make sure you got your lunchbox. This is your time to serve the Lord. Don't drag in. Don't just say, oh, I've got to serve God. i got to do this. No, you come in because God is great, greatly to be praised. You were lost, undone. You couldn't approach God. You couldn't access God. You were a, for, a foreigner to the things of God. But now in Christ Jesus, by virtue of the blood, you have an opportunity to come to his house and so that you can exalt him by helping somebody else hear the word while you're serving God. And then it even go at the time of Jesus. It's often overlooked. But one of the first uh, in, in the gospel, in the kingdom of God coming forward, anybody remember Zacharias? When Zacharias went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him. Everybody remember that? If you didn't read it on your own, it's in Luke chapter number 1. Luke it begins his gospel with the story. The Bible says Zacharias executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course. According to the custom of the priest's office, his lot. That meant he might have done anything else on a different time. But on this time, his lot fell to burn incense behind the veil in the holy place, not the most holy place, when the angel of the Lord appeared to him. It's a powerful thing. It's revelation. Did you know what today? A lot has changed, but there's a lot of things that are very similar. Did you know in the New Testament church? I know that in the early church, they didn't have or maintain a building like we do today, but there were principles that were revealed to the Apostle Paul. I wrote it this way, and just while I see in that today to a degree that the church kind of functions in a combined practice, a little bit like what we saw in the days of Hezekiah and also in the days of Nehemiah, but definitely in the days of King David leading into Solomon, because we do have a facility called a building. We do have regularly scheduled meetings. Yeah, we, did y'all hear that? We have regularly scheduled meetings. We have elected or chosen leadership or appointed leadership, right? And so I think about what David did. We had David. He was the king. That's Jesus, right? But David said we need a high priest. That's the handsome pastor. Then we have priests who are pastors. 
Then we have chief Levites, which are deacons. And then we have Levites, which are those who serve faithfully. And then we have the congregation who come to worship God. And it's our goal to get folks out of the congregation into being Levites. Now, sometimes you reach a place where, for whatever reason, physical things or whatever, you might not be able to serve in certain areas. In a couple weeks, I'll tell you, there's still things that you can always do. But we have a created expectation of what a church service should look like and what it should be. And it should carry the similarities to what David, because by the Spirit of God, David felt led to write these things down so that we can have them. So when I was thinking about our church a couple of weeks ago, and I was praying and saying, God, help us. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, Lee, put it back like it was. I testified two weeks ago that I knew what exactly that meant. That meant we needed to get our doors open more because they've been closed more than they should from COVID. We need to get some new ministries. They've they're, they're pre- been here previously, but they need to come back. Right? There's other things. And so let me just tell you, so I knew that God was speaking to my heart that we had to put these things back in place. And in a couple of weeks, I'll share with you what can happen when when everybody takes this burden upon themselves, right? And they begin to come to church with such esteem in their heart on the value of serving somebody because you serve the Lord by serving someone. That our church can move to an entirely new level. We can go from a little bit complacent to definitely contented to a place of vibrancy, spiritual expectation, a stirring in our heart about what God's doing. Apathy's got to be driven away. Slothfulness has got to be driven away. Laziness has got to be driven away. Not failing or failing to recognize the value of what you previously deemed a menial task has got to be driven away. I want to go back for just a moment to that 13th, or excuse me, to 1 Chronicles 23, if you would, uh, Angie, put on up there if, if we can. In 1 Chronicles 23, verse number 28, I believe it is. I want us to read that. If we can, one more time. Let's read it together here. Listen, we won't say it out loud, but let's just read it together here. It says, in the courts, because their office was to wait on the sons of Aaron, in the service of the house of the Lord... In the courts, in the chambers, in the nursery, in the children's church, in the Sunday school, helping with the youth, in ushering. Oh, I'm sorry, I've moved from the King James Version to the Lee Brown Version. I'm sorry, I got In greeting, in the sound booth, on the platform, in the foyer. On the security team, in cleaning the church, in the food pantry, in the parking lot, in the kitchen, in the prayer closet, at the altar, on the visitation team, to stand every morning, to prepare your heart, to stand in the evening, to prepare your heart, to be faithful to Sunday school, to be faithful to Sunday morning, to be faithful to soon to be Sunday night, for Wednesday evening Bible study to support revival meetings, to give in the altar in the service of the house of the Lord. That's how we need to filter it through our lens and say if God is calling our church to a new level, then everybody's got to do something for His glory. He is great and greatly to be praised. And I want to say one thing. I feel it in my spirit. I'm going to close with this. We've got to present ourselves... As a living sacrifice. It's your reasonable service. It's not too much to ask. I used to tell my children, it's not too much to ask for you to clean up your own room. I still struggle a little bit. God forbid other churches have a different spirit about them. But we've got, we've got block teams, churches do, and they go out and they clean other people's yard and everything. And I'm 100% for that if you can't clean your own yard. But I struggle when you're sitting in there on the couch watching TV. That's just me. Because I just think that we need a, something inside of us that says I need to carry myself where I'm accountable to God in every area of my life. And I want to walk with a spirit of grace and goodness 
and I want to do it to the very best of my ability and then to carry that forward when I prepare the body of Christ, when I connect to the body of Christ. The church, this church is going to be as good and as strong as we make it. We'll receive as much of His glory as we stand in His house expecting His glory. But somebody standing in the foyer wearing a security team shirt week after week after week so that you can stand at the altar and worship God. We're putting too much of a stress on a smaller group of people. And the only way is to hear the revelation of David. God said, put it by course. Now all you Sunday school teachers know why we didn't just give you your class back. We wanted it to be by course because we want people that all that feel called to have an opportunity to serve and discover the giftings that God's put in their heart because it will make the body stronger. And when we do so, we're fulfilling the revelation that God gave to David. I really believe, Dr. Brassford, God gave Moses revelation on the tabernacle. He gave David revelation on the temple and he gave Paul revelation to the New Testament church. And we're following and leading and setting in order. So to the men at the other side, before I close in a moment here today, I appreciate you coming out. And I'm going to charge you the way I did the ladies from the other side, daughters of the other side when they came out. you got to promise me, you got to promise me that when you graduate and you go back to your city, wherever that is, that you're going to get connected in a local body of Christ, a church, where there's somebody you call pastor, where there are people around you who know the word far better than you do, and they're going to help develop you into the person that God's called you to be. I want to I say, I felt led of the Lord to do this. I'm going to stretch myself in this. I told you, JoJo said, Pastor, where are you going to be at tomorrow? I said, I, Joe, it's not like me, but I'm going to be all over tomorrow. But I want, to, I, want to, I want to just connect to something for just a moment of time. Guys, you know, this, we've had a lot about rehabilitation and drug rehabilitation and such the latter few weeks with the daughters of the other side being with us and now these gentlemen here today. And, and I, I, so I'm going to go ahead and, and share my conviction. There's a lot of churches that have kind of sprung up in communities that have rehabilitation centers because rehabilitations are starting to take place in more than just in a few places. Almost every community is starting to get one, any semi-large community or just beyond, you know, any, church, any community of five or 6,000 or more are trying to get some, uh, something for those that are caught in the bondage of addiction because there are a lot of people caught in the bondage of addiction. Come on now. And, and they've got to be taught to be renewed in the spirit of their mind. And to learn to walk differently and talk differently and present themselves as a living sacrifice. What I've noticed is, is that there's a lot of churches that then pop up as offshoots of some of those. And what I see a lot of times is people that go through the rehabilitation gravitate towards those churches rather than the established churches. And I could say that might be good for a season, but it ain't good for the long term. Because seated amongst what you think is just, you know, old folk church are some people with testimony that if you just knew their story, if you just knew where they had been, that's who you'd want praying for you. You wouldn't want just a new pop-up church with a new startup pastor praying for you. You'd want Grandpa coming down with his big glasses. I'm going to tell these guys a little story. It's just way out, but I felt inspired, I know, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you. There was a man in our church years ago. His name was Paul Davis. He's deceased. I preached his sermon or his funeral service. He, he had big glasses like this, and he loved the Word of God. He was an old man when I met him, an old man. And I'd visit him at his house several times, and he loved when I would share about Romans, when I would teach Romans on a Wednesday night. Remember, I'm preaching about your service to the house of the Lord. Don't let go of that. It's, it's a part of the whole. And Brother Paul, I remember one time, Dr. Brassville, I was going through a series on Romans, and I think we even used the, the, uh, the Watchman Nee's book of the normal Christian life. And man, Doc, Brother Paul was so stirred. He was in his mid-80s or early 80s at that particular time. And he had reached that place in life where it was kind of enjoyable talking to him. He said, he said, Pastor, he said, me and my wife, he said, we can't even put our socks on by ourselves because we can't get our leg up. 
So we have to put our socks on for each other. How I many know that's a different season in life? And he's, you know, and, and yet he was faithful, and, and his wife was faithful, and, and, and they would come, and they'd be at the altar, and they'd pray with people, and they'd slip up behind people and put a hand on their shoulder, and they would pray over them. And one day I went to visit him at his house. And I knew he'd been in the military, and I was in the military, but I wasn't in the military like he was in the military. And he took me back into his back bedroom. He began to expose some things to me that, that, of, of his story that he hadn't shared with a lot of people, just a very small group. And he pulls out a box out of a, out a wooden cabinet. He pulls it out, and he opens a flag of the rising sun of the Japanese army that he took off the battlefield in World War II. Then he draws out a saber that he brought back. Then he brought out back a weapon that he had taken back. And then he began to tell me the things that he had gone through and that he had been put in for the, the Congressional Medal. His captain told him, he said, I would put you in for the Congressional Medal of Honor. But he said, not enough people saw what happened. So I'm putting you in for the Silver Star. And he received the Silver Star, which is the second highest, in all, second highest military award in all of our military. But he's an old man at the back of the church at First Assembly. He told me several of his stories. I'm going to tell you one here today. Just to close. I've told, everybody else knows about it. So church family, it's not for you. It's for these guys real quickly. He told me that when he fought on the, uh, in Korea, he fought in Seoul, Korea. He fought in delivering the, 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 the Korean people from the Japanese. He fought in the, in the Philippine Islands. And he may have fought in the Japanese Islands. But he definitely fought in the Korea, uh, Korea as well. And so when they really began to take control, they were liberating the Korea from the Japanese. And one of the final places to liberate was the city hall. And by now, Brother Paul has been, he's been fighting for several years, two or three years. The, the war's taken him from just a young man raised outside of Drasco to now he is truly Rambo. And I say that respectfully. He is a, he is a man of valor, but he is a warrior. And he told this story. He said, I went in to the to the, uh, he said, we went, we went to, the, uh, to the mayor's office and he, to the police headquarters because he said, you got to take over the police. And he said, I went in and he said, I had an interpreter with me and I was armed only with a pistol. And when I walked through the doors, he said, there was a long table and he said, there were about 50 Japanese police officers around the table, every one of them armed. And he said, I turned to my interpreter and I told them, I'm such and such, so and so of such and such division, and we're taking over the headquarters, we're taking over this police station. I want you to put your arms on the table, and I want you to end the keys to the rest of the arms, and I want you to walk out single file. And he said, a guy that he knew would have been the chief police got up and began to walk towards him, just saying all kinds of crazy things, moving his hands. He didn't understand the Japanese language. He had to walk around a banister to get to Paul, and he said, I let him get just off of me just a, a few feet. And he's waving his hands, and he's saying all kinds of things. And Paul said, I let him get within arm's length, and I hit him right in the mouth. And when he said, when I punched him right in the mouth, his gold teeth flew everywhere, fell all over the floor. He said, every man got up, put his weapon on the table, and walked single file out of that police station. And a man from Drasco, Arkansas, took the police station in Seoul, Korea, with a pistol and an interpreter. But by the time I get to know him, he's an old man at the back of the church. But let me tell you, that's who I want laying hands on me and praying for me and lifting me up. I want somebody like that. And let me tell you guys, that's why when you get, you got to get in a church where you got pastors and you got deacons and you got Levites and you got the young folk and you got the old folk. Come on, somebody. And we're all presenting ourselves for his service because he is great and he's greatly to be praised. Y'all stand up with me today. I'm just thankful for God's grace today, church family. God is good, but we got to present ourselves. I knew, I said, Pastor Brown, how are you going to close this message? I don't have a sign-up sheet. I don't have the security team. I don't have you drawing lots today. I just want our church family to know in the weeks and the months ahead, we got to do more than we're doing right now. we gotta, we got to share the wealth a little bit. The load's got to be shared. We're wearing folks out. Some of the same folks are in the nursery over and over so that you can be in here worshiping God. It may be time for you to serve in the nursery. Are you hearing me today? Are y'all catching the gist of what this service was about? It's your reasonable service. It's not too much to ask. 
Serve the Lord with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Daryl, if you're still here, would you join me on the platform today? To simple closing today, I want to ask somebody just real quickly today. I mean, brother, would you reach down here and hand me this anointing oil real quickly, one of y'all? Joe, take that back to Sister Charlene Smith back in the back and anoint her with oil. We're going to pray for her today. She's got some health issues. We're going to pray over her today. It's a pretty simple text to kind of end on. Back to Romans. Present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. It's your reasonable service. Guys, let me tell you. At the other side, they're going to give you a menial task. God will prove you with that menial task. If you can do a small thing with honor, integrity, with work ethic, God can move you to something better. And then when you work in that for a season, God can move you to something better. And then you will eventually move out of this group. What I didn't tell you about Brother Paul. Now tell this real quickly too. When he came back from the war, he slipped into alcoholism like so many do. Trying to kill the pain of what they endured, what they went through, what they were asked to do. Are y'all hearing me today? That's why you got to be careful judging addicts. You don't know what drove them to that addiction. Right? He wasn't just because he was wanting a party, but he had saw things. And alcohol was that deadening place. And he was struggling. His family suffered from some of his addiction. And one day, he was walking from his house to a shop where he had alcohol. Shane said it earlier, you got to hear his voice. He heard the voice of God. And God said, Paul, you don't need this anymore. Without rehabilitation, without rehab, without therapy, without 12 weeks, without any of the things that we value, and we're not taking away from anything at all, he walked into that shed, poured it out, And then his conviction, he had been raised in church. He knew he had to get back. That was his reasonable service. And he got back in church. And then he became a student of the Word of God. And he began to renew his mind by the Word. And he began to grow in his faith. And by the time the skinny preacher comes from Shirley to Heber Springs, he's an old man at the back of the church. But he loves God with all of his heart. He's been transformed. He's presenting his body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. That's his reasonable service. He was in the service, but now this is his reasonable service, to serve God and to work and to worship God. Church family, it's not too much for us to ask for you to do and to be all that God's called you to do, to do and to be. It's not too much. Matter of fact, we're in error, in error when we don't ask you. I'm in error when I don't lead you to be better. Isn't that right, Dr. Brathill? I'm in error when I don't lead you to be better because he deserves all that we can give. Come on, somebody. Amen.